0: So when I say, what is it, I want you to say back to me, manna. Okay, let's practice. What is it? What is it? No, what is it? Okay, I don't think this conversation is going anywhere. It may help you to understand that in the Hebrew, manna means, what is it? We hear our passage from Joshua about the end of manna, but we need a little bit of backstory. The Israelites had been led into the wilderness by God, freed in a mass exodus from Egypt. They were saved from the Egyptian armies, chasing them across the Red Sea. But now the awe and the wonder has worn off. And the grumbling sets in. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter 16. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread down from heaven for you. And each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. We're not really sure what it is, manna. But there are theories. It's described in the different accounts in scripture as something like coriander seed, but white in color it was considered sweet. One scientific theory is that it is the honeydew left behind by scaled creatures, aphids. One other scientific theory is that it is a form of lichen that had some sort of thing that just kind of flowed out over the land that could then be gathered up, could be put into balls, and to be ground and used something like grain. In both cases, These would be very sweet substances. As a child, I loved Frosted Flakes cereal, much to my mother's concern. And I was always quietly vindicated when Nana was described as something like, flakes like frost. And I'm like, they're eating Frosted Flakes. Good. And it's sweet, too. But what we do know about manna is that it was the main dietary staple, along with meat, quail namely, and possibly some livestock, that the Israelites lived on for 40 years as they journeyed in the wilderness. And it was given to them by God to sustain them on this journey. Manna was their bread from heaven. Even Jesus refers to it as that in John chapter 6. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven. Now, can you imagine 40 years? 40 years of manna. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, second breakfast, onesies. Quail on a bed of manna. Quail breaded with manna, manna cereal, spicy manna topped with quail, manna shakes, manna, 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 all day long, every day.
1: Can you imagine the
0: cookbooks? The best seller, I am certain, would be by tired parents, 100 and ways to hide manna so your kids don't know it's there. And there was just enough manna to go around. Each person was to gather a certain amount and no more, no matter their greediness or their reserve, they always got the same amount. And if they tried to keep it overnight, it would smell and get bugs in it. Ew. But one day, they were able each week to collect twice as much the day before the Sabbath. They could go out and get just enough for that day and the next day. Just enough. It it kind of helps us understand in the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us this day our daily bread. Really, the Israelites were being trained in that. Why not just provide a bunch for them to stockpile? I want you to imagine the Israelites and where they had come from they had been as a people in slavery for 400 years in Egypt crushed under the uh, unrelenting oppression of labor there was no rest and now god was taking them these 40 years on a journey to relearn rele- life over death relearn freedom over bondage and re Relearn provision over scarcity. God was forming a people who knew God as provider and sustainer, and also forming a people who could rest. A new generation fed by God and understood how to practice Sabbath. But now we come to this part of the story. They have made the journey for 40 years. Actually, they kind of wandered in circles for 40 years. And I think that's just part of this forming of a people. But finally, God's like, they're ready. And they come to the River Jordan. And on the other side, is this promised land that they had been hearing about for decades. Moses has died, and Joshua is now the leader. Just as an aside, Joshua is the Hebrew word For Jesus, God who saves. Joshua brings them to the river Jordan and helps them to cross over, just as Moses brought them to the Red Sea and helped them cross over. And now they are celebrating Passover, like they celebrated Passover back when they left Egypt. The next day, the manna stopped appearing whole turkey. And the Israelites were forced to eat the food of the promised land. Finally, all those cookbooks could be burned. And finally, you could ask, what's for dinner? And the response would be, thankfully, something more than manna. Now, this sounds like a great thing, but you know, you know that there were probably people that weren't seeing it as a great thing. They gathered into group and demanded the return of manna to the menu. They longed for the taste. They longed for the simplicity of gathering it, not tending fields, not worrying about the unpredictability of weather and pests. They may have worried that they weren't going to have enough, or maybe worried that others would have too much. Maybe they thought it was just simple and easier when we had manna to eat, And now all of this was a bit too sudden. You know, 40 years, too sudden. 40 years, too sudden. The promised land was scary. At least that was the word on the street. Giants, the great demigods, the Nephilim were said to walk the land, and the Israelites' spies felt like locusts in comparison. And that was the tall tale that they came back with. And they scared the Israelites. Don't cross the Jordan. Stay here. Stay safe. Stay with the manna. We have all we need. Change is hard. We know that. Change is hard. And change can be scary. Change means letting go of what you know and being open to what you don't. And sure, things could be great on the other side of the Jordan or they could be terrible. One of my favorite movie quotes from The Princess Diaries, I will admit, courage is not the absence of fear, but the determination that something is more important than the fear. Courage is not the absence of fear but the determination that something is more important than the fear. Manna was truly the bread from heaven, and it provided exactly what the Israelites needed for the time that they needed it. But putting down roots in the wilderness was never God's plan. Feeding them with monotonous manna was good for a season, but not forever. God had trained them to be a people for relationship with him, and now they needed to take that next step and enter into this land and start their new life. So, the question to us is, what is our manna? And what might be our more than manna? Today is Science Sunday, so I need to bring in just a little bit about science. And thinking about it in the context of this question, science is often viewed as a source of answers and certainty. And I find that the more I read and learn, science is really more about asking better questions and exploring new possibilities. And there's a lot we don't know. And every day we learn how much more we don't know. All the great scientists are willing to look beyond their current worldview and see all things new. Aristarchus and later Copernicus looked out and imagined the sun as the center of our solar system. Newton explored the effects of gravity. Louis Pasteur looked through this microscope and saw a whole new land of bacteria and the cause of illnesses. Georges Lemaitre, also a priest, looked into the past and imagined the birth of the universe in a new and beautiful way. Sometimes more than manna is the reorienting of how we see the world, being aware of the limits of our own particular worldview. Maybe we're called now to pay attention to leave the wilderness and the manna behind to see new possibilities, to ask questions and broaden our perspectives. As we heard about water and how much there is in the world and how little there is that's usable, one drop in comparison to a liter of water. That's the reference point. Maybe it's in a smaller, more local way a volunteer opportunity that you've been considering, or nurturing a relationship, or exploring a new interest, or taking a new job, or letting go of an old fear, taking on a new skill, venturing where you have never gone before. Cue the Star Trek theme song. About 25 years ago, I was in a major car wreck on an icy freeway in Seattle. I was obviously not driving at that time. I did not have a license. The driver was excellent and saved our lives in a very, very terrifying situation. But the car was pretty much smushed and smushed on my side. And I was pretty beat up. And it was years before I could ride in a car without fear. Real fear, like hold on to my seat fear. And while I could play off my non-driving for the last 25 years as, oh, it's good for the environment, I knew that there was an old fear that had to be let go of. God still met me in that fear, and my manna was love of walking and taking public transit and trains and rides from friends, and I made it work everywhere I lived. But God was also making it more and more clear, especially when he put me in Dubuque, Iowa, that this was not going to work for long. I lasted seven years. I got my learner's permit four years ago, and Kim Miller, blessed her, started giving me lessons in the mall parking lot. But then... COVID happened, and one of my main manas, Uber, dried up, and I started getting stuck. I started finding myself in places I couldn't get back from. I started not being able to get to places on time, and God was like, it's time. It's time to cross the Jordan. So under some very strong encouragement for someone that will not be named, I signed up for driving lessons, and my trainer, Susie, knew exactly what to do with someone like me. I showed up to my lessons in Holy Family parking lot, and we drove around for about 15 minutes in circles. I'm like, great! This is going great! I feel good! And she's like, great! Now, I want you to cross the Jordan and enter the Promised Land! No, she actually didn't say that. She said, I want you to leave the parking lot and go out onto the street and take a left. And I looked at her, and I was like, I can't do that. You don't want me on a public road. (laughs) And she was like, no, you're going to do it. And she had me drive to Mines in Spain that day, all the way, five miles. Oh, my gosh.
1: Because she had listened
0: when I said to her, one of the reasons I wanted to learn to drive was so I could get out into the forests again and hike. I could do that back in Seattle. But I couldn't do that here. So she showed me the promised land, which was the mines of Spain and places like it. And so on Friday, when I picked up my truck, I stopped by the church first, and then I drove to the mines of Spain myself.
1: Am I completely
0: fearless? No. Tuesday, I have to drive across the bridge to uh, uh, Illinois. Oh, my goodness. That is another Jordan that I'm going to have to cross. But it does mean that fear is no longer holding me back. So what about you? What about you? What's the manna that God has so graciously provided you? But what do you know that he is calling you to? What is more than manna? Our mantra for this Lent is, Give something up and take something on. The Israelites spent 40 years in the desert and we're spending 40 days in Lent. So think about these questions. What is your manna? And what is your more than manna? Amen.